Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Dark Concepts, a supernatural horror podcast written and read by me, Brian J. Cummings. Today is the first day of winter, as of this recording. And with that comes the last story of 2019. It's been an awesome ride so far, and I just want to thank everyone who's been listening in. It truly means a lot. I've already started laying out the stories for next year, and we'll start finally utilizing my Patreon. I'm going to be changing a few things on there, and we'll be sharing my updates on social media as soon as I figure it all out. So as of right now, the plan is to be releasing the stories a few days early, uh, on there, so instead of uh, Mondays, they'll actually be on there. They'll be releasing on Friday, as well as the first with the st- first story of the month. I'm going to be releasing an extra story. So yeah, uh, once I figure it all out, I will let you all know on uh, social media. So now uh, let's finish the holiday season off right with a story about snow, blood, and fire. The snowy mountain town of Headley's Gap, Vermont, has been plagued over the years with stories of mysterious disappearances and cases of cannibalism, all surfacing around the time of the winter solstice. Forest ranger Mark Creed has heard the stories, but has never seen anything out of the ordinary. Until now. The Solstice It was hard to fathom the amount of blood that surrounded the cabin. But equally, if not more shocking, was how it stood out bright red against a pure white blanket of snow. The metallic scent of it stung the damp, cold air as park ranger Mark Creed surveyed the night's damage. He knew the woman on the other end of the distress call had been in, well, distress. But it wasn't anything like he had been expecting. Another seven bodies found and a young female missing. He clasped tightly around his shotgun as he traversed the snow around the cabin that now lay in a splintered ruin. He had heard the stories. Everyone in the small surrounding town of Headley's Gap, Vermont, had. Every year, during the winter solstice, one or two missing persons would crop up. This year was already pushing 25. He didn't even want to think what would be left of these seven. Sure, the stories of the Wendigo had plagued the area for ages, the tall horned being feasting on the blood and flesh of humans, and turning them into some ravenous forest-dwelling cannibals could be blamed on this event. The stories around town, that had in former years came in in fits and spurts, were spreading like wildfire. But all of that was just nonsense, and way too easy. As he waited for the police, he scanned the area surrounding the scene for footprints. He was shocked to see that he could find none. He found what he could determine as the footsteps of those unfortunate souls fleeing the cabin, only to be picked off by whatever was waiting for them outside. As he waited, his eyes locked on something unusual in the woods. An odd feeling fell over him, and he squinted, trying to see what it was but between the snow and the swaying branches of the distant trees it was impossible to make out. Just as he decided that he should take a closer look, the thing vanished. It didn't run away. It just simply vanished. It was only after it was gone that Mark realized he was looking at a human form. And not only was it a human form, 
the hawking thing must have stood nearly eight feet tall. Instead of heading out to investigate, his instincts kicked in, and he jumped into his truck and locked the door. Though he felt as though the tiny door would be no match for the thing, should it decide to come after him. He stared into the trees, his eyes locking on the horizon, zeroing in on the darkness beyond the snowy trees. A loud bang on the window beside his head made him jump so high his head hit the ceiling of the truck. He clasped his head and looked out the window to see a familiar face peeking in at him. Had the snowy scene outside not been coated in a fresh layer of blood and gore, he supposed the image of him jumping like that would have been hilarious. Officer Damien Childress stood outside the door, his face solemn as his eyes were more focused on the macabre display before him. Mark opened the door. Jesus, Damien, you scared the shit out of me, Mark said after he got out of the truck, and he quickly noticed that the unusual silence had engulfed the woods around them, as if all sounds were sucked into a vacuum. FBI is on their way, Damien said, his voice low, his eyes still moving around the area. The hairs on the back of Mark's neck were now standing on end. Any idea of how many are inside? Damien asked. Jesus Christ! Officer Abram Hillman shouted, seeing the scene for the first time, approaching from the rear of Mark's truck. He was a tall, skinny 21-year-old recruit. It was his first week on the force, and Damien had already looked like he had pulled out half of his hair, training the highly excitable young recruit. Hillman, shut the hell up! Damien spat through his teeth, trying his best to keep his voice down. Hillman stared at the scene, his mouth agape. What do you think did this? Hell if I know, and it ain't up to us to decide. The feds will be here any moment to lock this place down. As soon as he said that, four dark vehicles followed by several white vans rolled up, and the once quiet scene was turned into a bustling crime scene investigation. Mark answered questions to the best of his ability and soon was free to go. As he made his way to the truck, he overheard that two more bodies were found inside. Though the details were hushed, he did hear that they had looked as though they had been eaten alive. The thought of it sent an icy shiver across Mark's skin, causing him to shudder as he got back into his truck, his mind still stuck on the hawking silhouette in the woods. He started the truck and left the scene to the professionals, but knew his snowy little mountain town would never be the same after this. Mark stood in the ranger station, watching the clock and praying that no more phone calls would come in before the end of his shift. Other than the bloody fiasco at the cabin earlier that morning, the day was rather dull. Most of the day was spent driving around, searching for the missing girl, hoping to find her alive, but nothing remotely matching her description even turned up. He was most grateful for not stumbling onto another crime scene, for the chill of the morning had not even begun to leave him. Unfortunately for Mark... It wasn't the phone that would ring, but his radio. The sound of static stabbed violently against the quiet Christmas music, startling him once again. Words were being screamed into the receiver on the other end, but Mark couldn't make out what they were saying. Panic began to flood through him as he gripped the receiver. Slow down. I can't make out what you're saying. Shh! Ah! Help! Mark noticed that the screaming belonged to Hillman. Hillman, where are you? 
Mark tried, but Officer Hellman wouldn't release the receiver on the other end. Garbled sounds of something shrieking in the background and the sound of footsteps fought for the bandwidth of the radio, combining into a cacophony of maddening snarls interjected with stabs of static. Tell me where you are, Mark tried again. But soon the radio went deathly silent. He tried again, but received nothing on the other end. Hillman, do you copy? He tried again. And there was a little spurt of static on the other end before Hillman came back in. I copy, he breathed. He was out of breath, but sounded oddly calm. Mark wondered if he was in shock. What happened? I, he began, but the radio went silent again. The lights of the ranger station flicked twice. Hillman? Mark tried again. The radio then squealed, and Mark held it away. It was then that he realized the radio wasn't squealing. It was the sound of Hillman screaming. All Mark could do was stare in horror at the sounds being emitted from the speaker. Other sounds fought for purchase over the radio as Mark heard what he thought were the sounds of something being torn and the sound of low guttural growls as Hillman's screams reached an unbearable pitch. The lights winked out as the sound carried over into the darkness for a single second before falling into dead static. Jesus, Mark breathed, not realizing he had already picked up his shotgun. His eyes scanned the tiny, dark ranger station and fell upon the wide window looking out over the small parking lot. What he saw standing out there in the cold, dark night sent icy daggers into his heart. A tall, mountainous figure stood in the pale glow of the parking lot lights. He saw the thing in full detail, yet the longer he stared at it, the less he believed what he was seeing. Even from this distance, he could make out the bluish veins standing out in the thing's muscular body. Long, matted hair fell around the elongated face, and jagged antlers stabbed upward. Before Mark could make out what the thing was holding, it tossed whatever it was onto the cold, wet pavement. It was Hillman, but only what had remained of him. A ravaged and eviscerated corpse, eyeless, and the face twisted in unimaginable torment. The icy daggers of fear dissolved into a flood of panic as he did the best he could to hide behind the counter. Some part of him knew, however, that the, whatever this thing was, it had seen him. Mark peeked over the edge of the counter and saw that it was still standing there, barely making out the jagged teeth and the elongated snout stained bright crimson with Hillman's blood. Then, to his horror, he watched as a mass of beings began to emerge from the forest behind the creature. The breath caught in his throat as he saw Officer Damien Childress, face twisted in an inhuman snarl and stained with blood. Ten more emerged from the forest, several FBI officers, a winter lodger, crime scene investigators, all moving in jarring movements. They snapped their jaws as they stepped awkwardly towards the cabin. Rabid. That was the first word that came to Mark's mind as he watched them stalk closer and closer to the ranger station. As they neared, he could see the odd light in their eyes as a strange sensation began to fall over him. It felt as though the air had turned to water, and he found it incredibly hard to breathe as his chest began to ache with stabbing pains. The door to the ranger station then flew open, causing Mark to nearly drop the gun. 
Mark stood and raised the shotgun, but noticed the figure that stood there wasn't looking at him, but was facing the troop of advancing ravenous people. It was then that the hooded figure held out a hand towards the group, and a blinding light exploded from the pavement before them. Spectacular gouts of flames erupted from the road as the inhuman horde was sent reeling backwards from the flames. Come on! A girl's voice yelled to Mark as he fought to find his composure, as well as his footing. He stole one more glance out the window to see Officer Damien Childress clumsily attempting to right himself from the pavement. He saw then that his old friend's throat had been savagely ripped out of his neck. He was a living corpse. He glanced around at the others and saw in the flickering light that they all were. Mark ran towards the hooded figure and followed her outside, but diverted towards his truck. No good! Follow me! She yelled as he pinwheeled his arms, trying to correct his course, nearly slipping on the slushy pavement, and then followed her down a steep embankment towards the woods. He ran after her for some time, maddening howls echoing from behind. His heart thudded, feeling his nose trying to climb up and out of his throat, as he barely kept up with the girl ahead of him. Soon she took a sharp turn and began running towards an old, run-down cabin. He followed her and felt the air oddly shift around him as he reached the clearing around the cabin. The air here felt calmer, if that made any sense. She ran up the creaky old steps and opened the door, keeping it open enough to allow him to get inside. She then shut it and pressed her hand against it. A strange popping sound echoed in the empty cabin as she pulled her hand away. She then waved a hand at the fireplace, and the wood erupted in the flame with a gentle whoosh. The girl lowered her hood and revealed herself to be in her early twenties, auburn hair with wide brown eyes. He glanced at her, then at the fireplace. The sight of her igniting the flames with a mere wave of her hand reminded his panicked mind of a part in Monty Python's Holy Grail, where King Arthur stumbles upon Tim the Enchanter. What manner of woman are you that can summon up fire without flint or tinder? He thought, but instead said, How the hell did you do that? To this she shrugged. I don't really know. It just happened when the thing tried to turn me into one of those rabid cannibals. She glanced down at her hand. I escaped last night. I escaped last night. And I've been able to keep this place safe for now. Pushing my magic, or whatever this is, into the doors and trees surrounding this old cabin. She looked back at Mark. It seems to keep it and the others away, but I don't know how long it'll last. I knew they were heading up for you at the ranger station, so I ran up there to try to help you. I, uh, thank you, Mark said, feeling his panic ebbing away in the flickering light of the fireplace. Why did you tell me not to go to my truck? We tried that last night. My friends and I, it took Ben. We tried to escape in our cars, but they wouldn't start, and our phones wouldn't work. I remember reading somewhere that that's a trait of the Wendigo. Electronics just stopped working. It killed them. All of them. Then it touched Brooke and Quinn. It turned them into, into rabid, flesh-eating monsters. It touched me, but whatever it did, it didn't work. And I was able to burn it, and I escaped. 
So it's a Wendigo. I guess so. I don't have any other word for it. I'm sorry about your friends. A hard howl ripped through the night, causing the two of them to jump. I think it found us, Mark said, looking out the cracked window, but seeing nothing. After a moment, he turned to look at the girl who had a blank expression on her face. Do you know where the town is? She asked. Mark swallowed. But the town was nearly ten miles to the south. He knew these woods like the back of his hand, but ten miles was a hell of a trek in the snow, and he wasn't dressed to be out for a long period of time. She walked up to him, smiling, though he couldn't see anything good about it. You need to make it back, she said, putting a hand on his arm. In that moment, he felt a searing pain bite into his arm, and he staggered back. Ah! he barked pulling his sleeve up on his jacket to reveal three small burns from the tips of her three fingers that touched him. He noticed that the hair on the back of his neck and his arms were standing on end. I think this should help you. If you need it, just use it. Use what? Mark asked, perplexed. This magic, or whatever it is. Just think it and do it. It sounds crazy, but it just kind of happens. He rubbed the burn marks, not believing a damn word of what she was saying. But noticing he felt extremely giddy and strange, his senses started to kick back in. They had to stay safe. There was another howl outside, and it sounded as though the creature were right outside the door. At this, she opened the cabin door and stepped outside. A blistering wind began to blow and icy sleet and snow began to fall violently. Mark watched in horror as the being began to walk out into the clearing, its footsteps graceful and silent for such a hawking creature. As it stood there, Mark could make out the undead advancing through the forest, eyes alight. It wasn't just ten this time, but the multitude. Holy shit. Go, she said, walking out towards the beast. Are you fucking nuts? I'm not just going to leave you here. Mark screamed over the howling wind. The creature let out a bone-rattling roar that nearly made Mark come undone. But the girl continued onward as the first of the undead stalked out through the trees. Go, she said again. Mark looked back one final time as the horde began running towards her. At this, he bolted into the woods to the south and found that as soon as he took off, his feet were sailing effortlessly over the snow. Each footfall that fell upon the fresh snow felt as firm as solid ground. He managed to get into the woods to the south side before a massive blast erupted from behind him, sending him flying forward, narrowly missing a trunk of a tree. He rolled on the snow, skidding to a stop. He turned and looked as a massive fireball was rising from the location of the cabin. Jesus, he said, and for a moment felt as though he should go back but decided that the only way was to go onward. He didn't know how long the enchantment would last. Mark made it into town just as soon as the sun began to rise, and upon reaching the nearby police station, he felt his feet fall through the snow. The exhaustion of the previous night hit him all at once, and he immediately lost consciousness. Later, Mark found out that fire crews and police were all sent out upon seeing the massive fireball exploding from a nearby forest. 
Nothing was found except the remains of the old cabin. He was questioned ceaselessly about the event by the FBI, who were now swarming the tiny town. But Mark never told them what truly happened. The truth was, as soon as his feet fell through the snow and rested upon the firm pavement beneath, the only thing he could remember was standing in the ranger station, hearing the strange static on the radio and the lights going out. He never had an explanation for the three small burns on his skin that were now scarring over. For years afterward, Mark Creed had a hard time staying warm, an endless chill seeming to have settled into his bones. He was also plagued by nightmares of a grimmed horned figure, with blood dripping down his elongated snout, and awaking suddenly on the sound of a long, forlorn howl. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, feel free to give a positive rating and a review, and feel free to subscribe or follow. To keep up on what's happening with the podcast or anything I've written, brianjcummings.com is the best place to connect and see the stories in a written format. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where I release two-sentence horror stories every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you want to support the show, I'm on Patreon, where for $5 a month you'll receive an extra exclusive episode as well as some other cool stuff. I'll be back in two weeks with another story from the darkness of the witching hour. So keep a candle nearby, because you never know when the lights will go out. The trees stood like silent snow-covered sentinels as she walked among them following the feeling. Rain took a deep breath, feeling the cold entering her lungs, but the warmth still stirring within her banished it immediately. She had spent days out in the snowy wilderness, no food, no water, no source of shelter despite the sub-zero temperatures. Even now, she walked with her tattered and charred jacket tied around her waist, steam rising off her bare skin. The feeling pulsed and grew stronger. Whatever it was, it was calling her forth, and soon she had reached a clearing. The pain that had been stabbing at her behind the eyes since her confrontation with the Wendigo had only grown stronger as she neared the source, but her compulsion to seek it out overwhelmed her pain. The silence was tangible as she walked out towards the circle of snow-covered monoliths. Eight of them stood evenly spaced within a circle each one presenting a symbol she couldn't understand. With her head hurting like it was, she couldn't hardly even look at them, let alone try to decipher them. She reached the edge of the circle and collapsed, falling forward onto her hands. She watched, squinting through her throbbing pain as the snow receded from her fingers and around her skin. Fresh grass began to sprout from the quickly thawing ground. Lorraine Wilcox a male's voice said curtly, cutting through the winter silence, causing her to jump. In that moment, the pain began to ebb, and soon there was nothing left. She blinked and looked up to see a group of people now standing in the circle of stones. They were all wearing what looked like strange dark gray military fatigues, with hoods over their heads. A young man stood before her with his hand out. He smiled. Yes? She took his hand, and he helped her to her feet. On the shoulder of each person resides a patch in which the design 
of an eight-sided star contained within a circle. Looks like you've done the job for us, and all on your own. One hell of a feat, if I must say so. Job? She said, glancing around at them. There are five of them in all, all sporting unusual tattoos, some that even seem to move. The Wendigo. You eliminated the threat, he said simply. And we knew the power that you awakened within yourself would lead you here. She looked at them for a moment. Who are you? The man in the front lowered his hood, revealing an icy blue left eye and a right eye of reddish brown. The name's Xavier LaCroix, and we are the guardians of the firmament. Was that, was that, was that, the fuck?